0: Hey guys, well, we are super excited to announce that we're on CastBox now. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest
1: rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and it does have all your
0: favorite podcasts, okay? Okay, you can still listen to Dumb Gay Politics wherever you get your podcasts, but we just want you to try CastBox.
1: We literally hate every single other <laughs> podcast provider, as you guys know, and especially the main one. And you know which one we're talking about. <laughs> and we're super excited that we're finally on Castbox because we think it's the best. So try it.
2: Uh huh. It's all shit. It's all just dumb gay politics. America's gotten kind of whack, but we're not gonna let it go down like that. Cause we got a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. We probably don't have all the facts, but we got opinions and. We'll would backtrack that's why it's a dumb gay podcast a dumb gay political
0: podcast ooh it's all shit it's all shit ooh, it's all shit it's all shit I mean are we gonna die? J. It's all shit, uh, uh. this shit is bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S, this shit is Trump, T R U M P A N A N E S. What? I don't know. I don't even know. Hey everybody, welcome to Dumb Gay Politics, I'm Julie. And I'm Brandy. And this is the podcast where we recap the week in politics like we are talking about the week in reality TV. And it's been a crazy week for news, girl. Oh, girl. (laughs) Trump went to Vietnam (laughs) and had a meeting with Kim Jong-un, which ended in nothing. Trump's former lawyer testified before Congress and called him a racist, a liar, and a crook. And that also ended in nothing. So we're going to skip it all (laughs) and introduce y'all to the brand
1: new Icon series that we're doing for Scrunchy 19. Mm -hmm. But first... Last week, we went to 2020 Street and did a quick rundown of the five most relevant candidates running to win the Democratic nomination for president in 2020. That's why
0: it's called 2020 Street. Right. So we did Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, and Cory Booker. We will definitely be doing the segment again soon, and we're going to include Julian Castro, Marianne Williamson, Christian Gillibrand, and hopefully and probably Beto O'Rourke, Sherrod Brown, and Joe Biden. So the rundown that we did do was quick and
1: dirty and it was by no means a deep dive because quite frankly, we didn't have enough time as it was that episode, uh, ended up being an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. If we were still at embassy row, Britain would have lost her goddamn (laughs) mind. I know that during that segment, we asked the 14 listeners to message us on our Patreon podcast or our website. If they are a person of color who is a Bernie supporter and, uh, We got a few emails. We sure did. (laughs) We sure did get a few emails.
0: (laughs) Who knew? Not that many, considering. Well, not that many. But we did get a few. But the ones we got were quality. Yes. And were chock full of content. (laughs) Uh, So now, um, not all of them were people of color and what they thought about Bernie. Some of them were just white people, pissed off about how shitty that segment was (laughs) and how unfair they thought we were to Bernie. Bernie. So in the interest of full disclosure, uh, we're going to share some of the feedback with y'all and give you our feedback on the feedback. So maybe this segment's called Feedback on the Feedback.
1: (laughs) We're going to be nice, meow meow. We're going to try and be sensitive. Yeah. We're going to try and be understanding Mm -hmm. and know that uh, we're not going to take anyone's feedback personally the same way we expected no one would take ours personally. (laughs) Uh, Just to quickly recap, I said that I don't. I don't relate to Bernie Sanders, and I was scared when I found out that he was running again that we would piss off the 14 listeners, mm-hmm. mainly because we pissed them off back in 2017 <laughs> uh-huh. when we made um, jokes at Bernie's expense, and um, not for nothing, I was right, because we did piss them <laughs> off. <laughs> I was I stepped right in the trap. Oh, I was scared we would step in. Mm-hmm. We stepped right into it. We I mean, it wasn't even... A week after he announced he was back in the running that we pissed everyone off.
0: I would say that we put on, um, like, bathing suits uh-huh. and, ju- ju- like, Dope. jumped on a diving board uh-huh. and dove into them. Dove into the shit shit pool. To the traps.
1: Yeah. We sure did.
0: And um, so... <sighs> yeah. Well, what can we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're just trying to be ourselves. Yeah. What can I say? But um, our super boo and unpaid intern, Jesse, a.k.a. Aaron was very upset by the fact that we didn't talk shit about the other candidates' physical appearances in the segment with the same rudeness and joy that I rip on Bernie. <laughs> uh, he also pointed out a million important research points that we overlooked, point taken, and very fair, Jesse. We didn't do a deep dive. Um, his appearance is low-hanging, yet relevant fruit, and I wouldn't like it if anyone talked shit about Obama, so I feel you. Um, Jesse is white, though, so he goes into the white Bernie supporter column. Correct. Correct.
1: Now, I do want to really push home the point that it, Jesse loves Bernie Sanders, and I know that I love Obama, and we love, we love Obama, we love Elizabeth Warren. There's people that we absolutely love, and they feel like a part of our family. They feel like the part of, a part of our hopes and dreams for the future. And when somebody is casually just being a dick about that person, it does feel personal, and it, mm. and it hurts, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Jesse is a lot more informed than we are. I Mm -hmm. mean, just as a rule, he just Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. So um, now not only does he have two people that he, you know, presumably likes talking shit about somebody that that he loves and hangs his hopes and dreams on, he also has two people that are fucking just basically numb nuts Mm -hmm. just talking out of their ass about, you know, how he looks like he has bagels and locks flying out of his mouth about Bernie Sanders. (laughs) So, um We love you, Jesse. We heard what you had to say and you were and you were right. And we were, um, you know, we're not fair and balanced. No, we are not. And we um, we definitely went in on him more um, because he gets on our nerves and such. But um, uh, we understand how that can feel personal. Yeah. Gorgeous new listener Stacey O, who is besties with longtime listener Kelsey Coppola, Waited on Twitter, and she took umbrage with our obsession with Kamala and the fact that we ignored her, quote, progressive prosecutor bullshit.
2: Mm.
1: Valid point, Stacey. We love Kamala and absolutely did not ignore that. Uh, we didn't mention it because we didn't care. <laughs> Stacy is also white. Not sure if she's technically a birdie supporter, but we're going to throw her in the white column. <laughs> Stacy, thank you so much for listening. We hope you continue to listen. And Kelsey, thank you for uh, badgering your friends to listen to us. That's the kind of listener we love. Thank you, guys.
0: Uh, Donnie Hollandale, a 30-something black millennial living in Northern California, was super bothered by the segment <laughs> and had to turn this shit off halfway through. Um, Donnie is one of our original 14 listeners and a Patreon member and a huge Bernie supporter. So that's one for the person of color column. Um, Donnie feels like we need to give all the candidates a fair shake and judge them based on the issues like many Bernie supporters who are forced to support Hillary in 2016.
1: And me, I too was forced to support Hillary. So I get that Donnie. Mm -hmm. I, you know, she wasn't my first choice. No. I don't really believe, and I can't speak for Julie, but that wasn't the reason that I don't, like, dig him. Um, I already said I did, that I don't, I don't connect with him because he lacks swag and he doesn't speak my language. I'm from the West Coast. I'm a lady from the West Coast. He's a, he's a man from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And um, he just doesn't speak my language. We're completely different generations. Now, do you, do you hold it against him, all of the Hillary stuff, in 2016?
0: Uh, do I hold it against him, the Hillary stuff? No, no. I mean, I think um he felt that he needed to run and he, went, he was on an actually different platform. So for that, you know, okay. But I just, um he doesn't speak to me. He doesn't speak to me, though I wasn't like some huge fan of hers, but I like her as a president better than him at the time. And um, so for you, it was just a
1: personal cho- choice of either one of them. It wasn't that he came in and threw salt in the game. Like I bet if we asked Sarah Silverman, Sarah Silverman feels like um, it should have been Bernie and not
0: Hillary. Right, uh, and I absolutely do not think that. And it, I would have been annoyed had he been the had he been the candidate. I would have voted for him. You know what I mean against Trump, but. I was and not And do you think that he him. pulled a lot of her votes away? I think he pulled a lot of her votes away. I think he, well, oh, completely, totally. I think that he, he, he was like almost like a Ralph Nader to me. He was like a third party. And I okay, think. I well, that's what I'm asking you. I think people think that's
1: why people don't like him. But you also didn't like him anyway.
0: I just didn't like him. So regardless of whatever, I just don't like him. I don't, I like him where he is. I don't like him as president. I don't think he'd be a good president.
1: But we do like him. We do yeah, like him as, that's a, the as thing. a senator.
0: Yeah, I just don't like him as a presidential candidate. But I like him as a senator. I like what he has to say. I like his message. I like, and I I understand an East Coast loud Jew. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I yelling at me. I mean, it's a little like off-putting because that's like, stop yelling at me. But at the same time, his message is good. And, um, but no, I don't. I don't see it as a Hillary or Bernie necessarily. And again,
1: Donnie, like, that's what we were asking for. We wanted to hear, we're not saying that he's not good because he's not for people of color. That's not what we meant, no. not in any way. No. I was simply asking if it was people of color that were down with him. That's all I wanted to know. It's I'm going to like who I like, regardless. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was just curious um, who his staunch supporters are. I don't do um, social media, so I was never a part of, like, seeing all that stuff on Facebook and all that stuff on Twitter from Bernie supporters who are super, can be super aggressive. And
0: I just didn't know who they were. I guess, um, for me now, I think that when you, in the, in the playing field that we have now, where now we do have a black woman, a black man, we have other women that to me, Bernie is inconsequential. He already laid the groundwork. He, he, you know, laid the train tracks or whatever. And now in this field, To me, he's not the right candidate. Okay. Okay. um, BB, also from NorCal, sent us this message on our website. In the last (laughs) podcast, you guys wanted to hear from people of color about their opinions on Bernie Sanders. I'm the daughter of an immigrant from Mexico and a white veteran. I just turned 18 last month and moved to Northern California since the last election. I do remember that everyone in my high school back in Montana was talking Bernie, Hillary, and Trump. All I knew about Bernie was he was a Democrat with ideas that really pissed off Republicans. I didn't really have an opinion on him either way, and I'm still lukewarm on him. I agree with you guys on the point that I, too, would have much rather seen him support a person of color and or a woman rather than running himself. I also can kind of see a point of view where it would be best for the next election to be a white man versus white man to make sure Trump doesn't win again, but that also might be the scared young queer kid who grows up in Montana talking. For me, in a perfect world, a woman of color... Uh, as our next president. Probably because of my mother and what a beautiful, powerful, and smart person she is. That's nice.
1: That is nice. Um, Thank you, BB. And then Sabrina Kimball messaged us that both her and her boyfriend are people of color and they support Bernie. So there's two more in the the POC, Bernie supporter column. Uh Okay. So they're out there. So I definitely... I mean listen we have 14 fucking listeners so it's not like we had the, the thousands of emails flooding in I'm not a professional pollster at this point
0: like <laughs> Kellyanne Conway I'm just curious to know though in this in this election now that we have other choices cuz in the last election you it was either Hillary or Bernie and I would think for whether what that his message was speaking to millennials and yeah. more right. than her yeah. but now we have so many more messages and his You know what I mean? I'm just wondering what people are going to feel now when you have Kamala Harris out there being so fucking kick ass.
1: I think people like Jesse want for us because we have gay babies listening that that, you know, are getting their information from us. And we're sort of pissing in pissing in the pool as far as it, you know, goes with Bernie. And I think like people like Jesse and Donnie want us to be careful to like. Let Bernie, let them make up their minds on their own too about Bernie. And and they're not wrong about that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I get what they're saying.
0: Christopher Ramos sent this message on Patreon. Hello. I'm Christopher, self-proclaimed listener number nine. I'm not mad at Bernie Sanders. I like him, and I fully supported him. And once he was off the ticket, I fully supported Hillary. I like what he had to say and his views, however. He desperately needs a team of gays to clean his sloppy-ass image the fuck up. I'm not sure if I would vote for him again. Only time will tell. Thank you for the laughs and information. Um. So yeah I guess that's one For the yes column So he was a person of color Supported right. Bernie mm-hmm. And he also agreed with you That
1: I mean listen The guy's rough around the edges And by the way And also We're not gonna really talk shit We're not gonna talk shit About any woman's appearance We're just not gonna do it And the only uh, That only other man We talked about Was Cory Booker And Cory Booker looks good Right So We talk shit about his appearance Because he was the He's the wackest one on there Right And that's just the way It has to go I reserve the right To me to the group I sexualize Kamala <laughs> Harris At every turn Mm-hmm And um,
3: that
0: was the only reason if there were anyone else ugly up there, we would have done it. And um, if you are anyone who's (laughs) if anyone is um, upset by us talking shit about Bernie's appearance, I would ask you to ask yourself if you have talked shit about Trump's appearance.
1: Candace wary, maybe wary. um, She's a black girl who messaged us that she's over Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Okay. Um, and she needs to take a seat. So she's um, a person of color in the no column. Thank you, Candace.
0: We've got Zena Salim, who messaged us that she's Middle Eastern and loves Bernie.
1: Okay, and finally, this message came in from Patreon member Renee Soto. And it was really the message that made the most sense to us. And also, like Donnie and Jesse ran a Renee is way too smart to be listening to this <laughs> podcast. So, of course, there are going to be times when we get it wrong for you guys. Um, But we are always open to changing our minds. You just have to have the right approach and the right argument. And above all else, if you really want us to listen to you, um, you should be (laughs) you should be a Patreon member (laughs) because that really gets our attention. So here's what Renee had to say. And I think this this can really be the final note in the in the Bernie argument. And I think and it really did
0: open us up, you know, dear Brandy and Julie. um, One, I love dumb gay politics. I am a Latino queer cis male, previously a PUP or poor urban professional, married to a nerdy gay and 34 years old, worked in the LGBT community for seven plus years, helping trans, then HIV positive and disabled job seekers find employment in San Francisco. I was always progressive and radical. I studied economics in college and have been an activist since 16 when I started my school district's first gay straight alliance. I mean, come on, Renee. Wow. Um, And I am a Bernie supporter that also voted for Hillary when needed. I became overly political when Trump was elected, and I love your podcast as a paying patron. Thank you, Renee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I wanted to mention a couple of points why we should support Bernie again. One, he's moved the Overton window of acceptable political discourse to progressive side enough to welcome AOC candidacy. Um, okay. Alexandra. Yeah. Okay. So
1: let's, let's um, unpack that. So Bernie Sanders has moved the Overton window of acceptable political discourse over to the progressive side far enough that it opened up the world for people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has made a huge splash and already made huge strides. So that's he's basically saying that, he, that Bernie has paved the way for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and that
0: is true. Mm-hmm, that is true. He inspired a movement that could realistically inspire the quote-unquote outsider independent voters that Trump swung because Hillary was too establishment. Also true. Yep, Bernie would have won the primary had Debbie Wasserman Schultz not conspired to make Hillary the candidate, which everyone glosses over. Well, not you, meow meow, because you always go in on old Deb, <laughs> yes. and her crispy onion hair. Yeah, the the uh, the absolutely Deb and the and the Democratic um, National Committee. Yeah, they wanted Hillary. They didn't yeah. want Bernie, so they they made that happen. Um, Russia helped Bernie too, by the way. Okay, <laughs> number four. He is the only candidate that has. Raise the kind of grassroots monies, ten million in twenty four hours, that prove he has a mobilized base. Mm-hmm. Uh five, he's tough on all the right issues and a strong orator.
1: Except Julie thinks he spits uh, f- when he talks. I
0: feel he's a little <laughs> I don't think he's a great orator, but he's he's definitely passionate. I would say he is strong. Strong. Okay. Agreed. You know. Agreed. Six, lastly, I didn't like Bernie at first, but he inspired me and made me dream of a different future. Those Bernie or bus voters may have been slightly sexist and white-centric. Thank you, Renee. (laughs) And aggressive and self-righteous. But Bernie represents those that wanted a change, but maybe weren't entirely ready for it. Okay. I'm voting for Bernie again, and I think he's our best chance to bring those slightly racist, white-centric, and slightly sexist, poor, white, uneducated, and disenfranchised back. To the correct side of history, hmm.
1: yeah. we liked your we liked your message, Renee, mm-hmm. and, it, and it did. In fact, you being a Patreon member, and also, um, and the message was succinct, and it and it made a lot of sense. And um, and we're gonna try, yeah, yeah. in the future to keep it fair. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. um, we all know we it goes without saying that us and everyone else. Who listens to the podcast we're gonna vote the way we need to vote when the nominee comes down oh, yeah and we're all gonna just put it all and we're all just right. gonna laugh about this we're all gonna laugh about it so we love you guys and we hope that that um informed us of something i don't really know i don't know who's in the white <laughs> column who's in the person of color column who's in the no, who's in the yes. but um it's pretty
0: much what i thought
1: yeah there was i mean Zena surprised me and why not sabrina and her and, boyfriend surprised uh, me. yeah
0: and i think it's cool to um just to, you know, it's like getting to know each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just getting to know who's into what and who's thinking what and who's what. And, you know, it's yeah. Don- good to know.
1: Donnie mentioned in his message w- that we didn't read that it was kind of like CNN, you know, said this thing about Bernie and people of color and everyone's just run with it. I did. That's not the story for me, Donnie. I really just was curious. Um right. I just thought to myself, who is this guy speaking to? Mm-hmm. Um And I was wrong. You know what I mean? There are people out there. He was speaking to, he's speaking to young people is who he's speaking to. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, anyway, ha ha ha, let's all laugh about it later. I'm going (laughs) to bring that back.
4: Um, Okay, now it's time
1: to introduce our new series for Scrunchy 19, the Icon series.
0: Every so often, we get the opportunity to talk to someone so major, they require a whole episode, not just one segment. And today is one of those days. So, without further ado, let's meet our first icon.
2: Motherfucking legend, motherfucking legend. Even if I die, living legend. Look at my reflection. Ain't no second guessing. I'll always be a legend. A motherfucking legend. Look. This
0: episode marks the debut of the Dumb Gay Politics Icon series, and here's the deal. Since the inception of this show, we have talked to quite a few influential people, but today is the first time that we're talking to an actual, literal icon.
1: Yes, we are beyond excited and humbled by the Skype presence of our guest today. And even though I have developed a Keanu Reeves level obsession with him, (laughs) I have to admit that I was technically late to the party. I didn't learn about this man until randomly early last year when he was on the news with Katie Turr in the middle of the day. I was sitting on Julie's couch alone, Airbnb homeless and unemployed. And it was one o'clock in the afternoon and here comes this guy calmly telling his truth on MSNBC and he absolutely blew my fucking mind. (laughs) Yes,
0: it's true. Her mind was literally blown. I found it on the floor. Um, And that was the day that we officially became Russia woke. Not a day has gone by that Brandy hasn't verbally daydreamed about getting this man on our podcast. But that said, we never thought he'd actually do it. He's our version of an American hero like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Nancy Pelosi. He's so beyond our comprehension that he may as well be an alien. We aren't even qualified to do his assistance laundry. Shout out to Anisha. Hi, girl. Hi, hey, girl.
1: Yes, I'm so fucking intimidated. I'm scared to even have a conversation with him. For starters, this guy is crazy fucking rich, like loaded to the goddamn Maximus. <laughs> He's definitely the wealthiest person we've ever talked to. Yep. Yeah. And smart, like Mm -hmm. family legacy Doogie Hauser graduated from MIT at nine years old, beat every Indian kid in the (laughs) National Spelling pee, won't even let Jeff Bezos invest in his hedge fund Bobby Fischer type of smart. And he's brave. He's so brave that his courage outshines his bank account and IQ by a
0: mile. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we started this podcast two years and two months ago, and not a week has gone by that we haven't talked about Russia in some form of another. Russia meddling, Russia collusion, Russia money laundering, Russian Olympic doping, Russian models, just, you know, because they're hot. Putin being scary, Putin shirtless on a horse, Putin playing hockey, Putin poisoning people. <laughs> and until now, we thought the closest we'd ever get to Vladimir Putin was when I, Julie, went on Amazon and bought us his sexy 12-month magic Vlad stripper calendar. Yes, I did. But nope, thanks to our guest today at this very moment, Brandon. Andy and I are officially one degree from Putin bacon, and we are not even scared. That's right. Poison doorknobs be damned. This man created the ubiquitous
1: Magnitsky Act, which is responsible for throwing 99.99% of the salt in Putin's game. (laughs) He was instrumental in changing the landscape of Russian-American politics, so much so, in fact, that Putin mentions him by name in damn near every speech he gives.
0: Exactly. So without further ado, we are thrilled to welcome the man whose name is synonymous with Russian sanctions, Russian adoption, and dare I say, big dick energy, (laughs) Bill Browder. Hi, Hi, Mr. Browder.
3: Wow, I, I've never had an introduction like that before.
0: <laughs> no one on MSNBC is going to talk to you like that.
3: <laughs> I don't think anyone anywhere is going to talk to me like that, but uh, there we go.
0: We are beyond, beyond thrilled, and thank you for taking the time out of your day. Okay, so please, you. please start by explaining to our 14 listeners what the Magnitsky Act
3: is. So the Magnitsky Act is a piece of legislation which was originally passed in 2012 by the U.S. Congress, which imposes visa sanctions and asset freezes on Russian human rights violators. Um, It was named after my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, who was murdered in Russia after uncovering a massive Putin-organized corruption scheme. And uh, I've been working on, on getting justice for Sergei Magnitsky since he was murdered in 2009. That was the first measure of justice I got for him in 2012. And since then, there are now six countries with Magnitsky acts around the world. The United States, Canada, Great Britain, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. There's a number of other countries on the hop. Uh, The European Union is now considering a Magnitsky act. And I can tell you that Vladimir Putin hates this thing more than anything in the world because Vladimir Putin is a human rights violator. We all know that. He knows it and he's a very rich man, and he keeps his money in the West. And so if we have the opportunity to freeze his money, which is what the Magnitsky Act does, that puts him personally in peril, and he hates it more than anything.
1: What do you call, when I saw you on MSNBC, I've seen you a million times, but what do you call it, like, plectocrat or something?
3: Like Well, so so, so basic, basically, so, so normally in a, in a government you have bureaucrats. <clears throat> These are the people who work in the, administration of governments, you know, serving their country. In Russia, um, the people who go into government don't go to serve their country. They go there to steal money from the government, from the people of their country, to get as rich as they possibly can. And there's a real, there's a a definition of that, which is, they call them kleptocrats, which means uh, they're kleptomaniacs who work (laughs) as bureaucrats in the country.
1: Okay, so what, are you on the countries that don't do it, like, for the European Union, um, are you there like lobbying like you did here in America to get to get the Magnitsky Act passed in those other areas? And yeah, countries?
3: I, 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 I travel all over the world trying to get Magnitsky Acts passed in different countries. And, and in theory, it shouldn't be all that complicated a, a thing to ask for. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, when I went to Washington, I laid it out real clearly. I said, should Russian torturers and murderers be allowed to come to America and spend their money here? Yes or no. And and then pretty much nobody in their right mind would say, "Oh yeah, they should really be allowed." And so it, when it went for for a vote in the Senate, it passed ninety two to four. And this was back in two thousand twelve. In, in a in a world where nobody could agree with anyone on anything in Washington, this is the one thing they could agree on. Except for except for Bernie in-
1: Sanders, I'd like for you to, after you finish to let us know why Bernie Sanders wasn't on board.
3: Good question. I have no idea. Everyone was like feeling the burn. Um, during the 2016 election, and I was like, "This guy voted against the Magnitsky Act." I don't know what kind of weird stuff is going on in his, his head, but that's not good. And, yeah, and, and, no, and that's glad not see, good. And, and, and I have to say that no one paid any attention to that back then, but a lot of people are paying attention to it now. I mean, it, you know, in, in a world where where Russia has has obviously been been trying to influence the U.S. political process, um, here's a guy who was doing Putin's bidding for him in, in Congress. There was actually another guy, uh, his name is Dana Rohrabacher. Thank, thank God he's not around anymore. He was a, a Republican congressman from Orange County, and they, they called him Putin's favorite congressman because he was out there <laughs> literally trying to repeal the Magnitsky Act in the, in the U.S. Congress.
1: Well, Bernie, uh, uh, Putin helped Bernie in the election, right? I mean, Russia was, was assisted Bernie, kind of, so it's really, really shady. We're putting <laughs> it on the street to our yeah. three <laughs> listeners.
3: Good. Good, do please. I mean, it's uh, you know. I mean, there there are these guys. And Bernie, by the way, um, he was he was um, uh, visiting Soviet Union during his um, honeymoon. I think I, I saw some pictures of him. So that's interesting. It's, it's all a bit. It's all a bit dubious. And then there was, was there.
1: there was two guys. The two senators from Rhode Island voted against it too. Is that is Rhode Island like? Many Russia over here, or do you know why they did that?
3: You know, I, I don't know, and, and I think that's a little less sinister. Um, um, <laughs> but I, I think they were they were pushing for trying to have a global Magnitsky Act, and this was just Russia, and they wanted a global. But but anyone who voted against it, um, you know, they, they they have some explaining to do for sure.
0: Yeah, they completely do. I had a um, a question about: Would you speak to how exactly Putin and the oligarchs? Um, how did they steal? technically from the Russian people, and then where were they trying to put the money, the money that you have now like, made it impossible for them to get?
3: To invest. So the most real example that I can share with you is what happened to us, which, um, which is a really it's, it's, it's a complicated story, but I can make it simple for you, which is that, that um, in 2006, my company, my investment fund, um, paid $230 million of, of capital gains tax to the Russian government. And what happened was, after we paid the tax, our offices were raided by the police, who seized all of our documents, all the documents for our investment companies, and then um, used those documents to steal our companies through like a, a identity theft of the companies. And and once they owned the companies, these these government connected crooks, they then went and applied for a two hundred and thirty million dollar illegal tax refund, <laughs> and since they were. And since they had people in the tax office working with them, it was approved in one day on Christmas Eve 2007 um, and paid back to, the, to them the, the money. Uh, the money of taxes, the $230 million of taxes that we paid, was illegally refunded in one day on Christmas Eve. It was the largest tax refund in the history of Russia. Mm. And, um, and then the money was distributed all over the world. And, and, um, and my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, was the one who discovered this he testified against the people involved, and then they arrested him, tortured him for 358 days to get him to, to retract his testimony, and then they killed him um, on November 16, 2009 at the age of 37. And I, I uh, it broke my heart, and I m- made a vow to his memory and to his family and to myself that I wasn't going to let the people who killed him get away with it. And I put aside everything else I was doing, and I put aside everything else. For the last nine years and some months, I have focused exclusively on going after the people that killed him to make sure they face justice.
1: And were uh, were you living there at that time? Like, did they try to get you?
3: So I, I lived there from 1996 to 2005. And in and 2005, and and I should point out that when I was running my investment business, I was doing something called uh, shareholder activism, which meant in Russia, exposing crimes of the oligarchs and how they were stealing money from the from the public companies I was investing in. And in 2005, um, on November 13, 2005, after having lived there for 10 years, and I, and I was the largest foreign investor in their country, they stopped me at the airport, at Sheremetyevo Airport, which is the Moscow airport. Um, the four heavily armed uh, border guards took me down to the detention center of the airport, kept me there overnight, and then the next day they deported me back to London, where I had originated from on that flight. And, um, and thankfully, um, they deported me instead of arrested me or killed sure. me, because these days, that's what they would have done. They, just, they didn't have the, the guts back then to, um, to really go o- o- over the edge, but they would have done that if I had been there now.
1: Um, oh, well, I wanted to know, was Putin already there in 1996?
3: No, Putin So that was, that was uh, prior to Putin, there was a man named Boris Yeltsin who was president. Boris Yeltsin had a number of uh, good features. He was uh, he was he believed in democracy and freedom of the press and various things. But he had one really bad feature, which was that he basically mortgaged or sold the country to 22 oligarchs mm-hmm. who ended up with uh, 40% of the country and, and everybody mm-hmm. else lived in destitute poverty. And so Putin came in after that. He came in in 1999 and became president in 2000, his prime minister in 1999. And when he became president, his original pitch to everybody was that he was going to end this era of crazed oligarch capitalism and um... and he he sort of started out doing that but then um... he really didn't intend to do that what he really wanted to do is he wanted to become the biggest oligarch himself and he did that by arresting the previously biggest oligarch a guy named Mikhail Hortikovsky he put he owned an oil company is worth like fifteen billion dollars he arrested him off his private jet in Siberia uh, put him in jail allow the television cameras to, uh, to film him sitting in a cage in jail. And, uh, um, <clears throat> and, and then all the rest of the oligarchs went to Putin and said, hey, Vladimir, what do we have to do to make sure we don't sit in a cage? Mm. And he said, 50%. Oh, my became, God. And at that, at that moment in time, Vladimir Putin became the richest man in the world, um, and, and he remains the richest man in the world to this day.
0: Do you think that Putin and the oligarchs look at Russia, their their own country, their people, and all of that, and just think these are just vessels for us to make money? Like they like they just don't care. I mean, I've never seen anything yeah. like
3: it. it, 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 it you, you can't even imagine coming from a normal country, coming from America, and to see how these people behave and, and the complete lack of remorse, lack of of empathy, and and it's just. It's so cynical that they, they've been, I mean, in a certain way that, you know, they, they, they were all so, so badly abused as children and everybody is mm. mean to them and they're, and they're, everybody is stealing from everybody and everyone was, was beating up everybody at every stage of life that by the time they got to be adults, you know, it's just every man for himself, take as much as you can. And that's what they do.
0: When you lived there, what, what's it? what what's it like there to, like when you were or there, or there it, it, was there did you enjoy it
3: i loved it when i was there it was it was the when i got there in 1996 it was truly like the the wild west it was like a, mm. you know the, the boom town you could you know make or lose fortunes overnight you, you didn't there was no nobody who had any more experience than anyone else it was a total new frontier um it was both Horrifying and exciting all at the same time. I, I loved it. And 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 the one thing I can tell you is that r- there's nothing wrong with the Russian people per se. It's the Russian. It's these gangsters who run the Russian state that have messed everything up over there. The Russian people, for the most part, are really earnest, genuine, hardworking, nice people. But they, they, most Russian people now live in, in an occupied country, which is feeding them propaganda about how terrible we all are. But but it's it's not the Russian people that are at fault. It's these criminals, Vladimir Putin being the mafia boss. It's ruining it over there for everybody.
1: Now you, um, so when you got the Magnitsky Act passed, you worked with Ben Cardin and John McCain. How did you did How did you get hooked up with them?
3: Well, um, it, I, I met Ben Cardin through uh, I, I met a, one of his young staff members at something called the U.S. Helsinki Commission, which was this sort of relatively small government body that uh, that he was in charge of. And I went and I, I went and told the story of what happened to Sergei Magnitsky to a young man named Kyle Parker, who was. In his mid thirties at the time, working for for Senator Cardin, and, and he was about the same age as Sergei Magnitsky. And and when he heard the story about Sergei, he thought, you know, this could have been me. And he he sort of uh, got the, you know, just got this got under his skin, and he just wouldn't let it go. And, and sometimes, you know, it's it, it's, all, it's all about like some some little guy at the you know at the uh, in the lower. Uh, rungs of the apparatus that just decides that they want to change the world, and this guy Kyle Parker decided to do that, and he he made sure that that Senator Cardin knew about it, and once Senator Cardin knew about it, of course he had the same reaction, and then three of us uh, got together and said, well, what do, what do we need to do? Pass a law, and and um, uh, and they said, well, we need a Republican, and and I looked down the list of Republicans who, <laughs> and and the name that jumped off the list was John McCain. So here I had a story about. A young man being tortured and mm. murdered in prison, and John McCain was a was a, a vet who had been in in Vietnam who had been in, in tortured in in his own prison camp, and I thought it was one guy in Congress or in the Senate who could really understand what Sergey went through it was john mccain and and sure enough when i got when I was able to get through all the different hoops to to get in front of John McCain, I told him the story and 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 yes, that he had the same reaction the, the, the totally uh, perfect reaction, which was that uh, we can't let these people get away with it, and he became our our co sponsor and 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 a real driving force in the Senate.
1: Was there any um, assholes in the Senate that got in the way? Like, did you really? I'm trying to get at. Did you ever get to meet Lindsey Graham? Because we like him, and he was good <laughs> friends with John McCain. <laughs>
3: I mean, he, he he was a big supporter, and and he's continued to be a big supporter of all the of all the the um, uh, Magnitsky related stuff. And he's been one of the people calling for Jamal Khashoggi, um, the mm. killers of Jamal Khashoggi, that Mohammed bin Salman to be sanctioned, and so on. I'll tell you who the bad guys were, um, <laughs> and and this is really weird. Most people don't don't um, uh, don't don't think about this, but the the people who didn't want the Magnitsky Act passed with nobody and in, in, pretty much nobody in the in the Senate. But it, it, it was it was Obama. Obama had this thing called the Russian Reset. He wanted to reset relations with Russia. And Putin really didn't want the Magnitsky Act. And so um, he, he and his administration, he and John Kerry pretty much, um, tried to stop me at every step of the way. And it was only because of the way in which the the the, um, the Constitution is written in the United States that the executive branch, has, or actually the congressional branch, has equal power to the executive branch that we're able to get the Magnitsky Act through. Because the administration didn't want it, want it to happen. They really didn't want it. But wh- why?
0: Why do you think? But he wanted well, to reset. That, he wanted yeah. to have like so, that's good feeling. But Obama was in the center. or Was it? What? Why?
3: Well, well, I'll tell you what happens. Every time a new guy comes into the presidency, he looks back at the old guy and said, "Well, that guy had a really bad relationship with Russia," and because the new guy comes in as president. Um, they think, well, I'm such a great guy. Look, I became elected president of the United States of America. I must be so great that my personal charisma is just so powerful that I can convince <laughs> Vladimir Putin. I can convince Vladimir Putin that that he shouldn't do all these bad things. And uh-huh. so um, Obama comes in, looks at Bush, who had a terrible relationship with Putin by the end of the thing, and and said, "Oh, look, I, I'm going to go and like just reset relations." And mm. and it's an arrogance and a stupidity that made no sense. And and uh, and and of course. Putin just laughs at this, and he says, "Great, I'll 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 take four years of appeasement," and uh, mm. and, and that's and that's and that's what he tried to do. And it didn't, in this particular case, it didn't work. And and Vladimir Putin got very very angry when the Magnitsky Act passed because Obama had promised him privately it wouldn't happen. Um,
0: and this is a little bit of a tangent, but why do you why does Putin hate America so much? Let's say r- 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 taking the Magnitsky Act away, and he could have all the money he wants. What is his freaking problem? <laughs> he has little oh, so, dick energy. So
3: got, <laughs> the, the, Putin, hates, Putin hates three things. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, Putin, what you have to understand is Russia is a little country. I mean, it's a big country landmass-wise, but it's got a tiny little economy. The economy for, of Russia is the size of the state of New York. It's, okay. it's not a big, it's not a huge economic power. Russia's military budget is about the same as a U.K. military budget. It's not like some um, massive military budget. It's, it's 90% less than the U.S. military budget. And and so Vladimir Putin, but he's, he he needs to and wants to think of himself as being some type of really significant world leader. And there's no way that he can bring Russia up to the level of the West, and so he's just trying to bring the West down to Russia. Mm-hmm. and he, And there's three things he hates. Three things he hates. He hates NATO because it's... He can pick off individual countries, but he can't pick off one big mass of, of, of military uh, defense. Mm-hmm. He hates the European Union because he can you know, pick off Hungary or Lithuania or whatever, but he can't pick off the whole European Union. And he hates the United States because the United States stands up to him. And so his big three objectives are to weaken NATO, to break up the European Union, and have a weak United States. And,
0: and he's, doing and he's a, been doing a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah he
3: has. He's so been he, doing a pretty good he, job lately. Yep.
1: Yeah, he influenced Brexit, right? I mean, the same way he influenced our election, he was a big um, component in Brexit, right?
3: Ab- absolutely. He, 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 uh, I live in London, and he, he, uh, he was all over the place with Brexit and and there's no Mueller investigation in London I mean, we all know that, that 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 he was behind Brexit and and uh, uh and it wasn't just Brexit he was, he was behind the uh, Scottish independence referendum behind Catalonia this region of Spain he's he's messing around every place he can mess around because that's what he does and it doesn't cost very much to do it and this is this is uh Low cost, high impact activities. He's up to. God.
1: So they're like, he's like doing a ton of like cyber espionage. Are you scared about your own shit getting like hacked and revealed? Or
3: so, so, so most of the stuff that I do is is about um, exposing crimes of the Putin regime, and and the way I expose them is by finding out bad stuff that they've done, mostly connected to the murder of my lawyer or the money laundering that they did after they killed him, and then sharing it with the international media and making sure the world knows about it, and make sure prosecutors know about it. So there's no secrets in what I'm doing. The only advantage they get in cyber hacking me is, is maybe a two weeks to one month advantage of knowing what we're up to. But, um, and so, you know, for me, it's more, more just a question of just moving forward, doing it, doing it quickly and making sure that, um, that all the truth gets out there.
1: Yeah. But what about all your like naked pics on
0: your phone? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I don't have too many of those, but um, if I did, you
0: know, good luck to
1: them. Yeah. Have you thought about with Brexit and our election, a lot of it was a lot of through social media. Um, like, what can we do? We ourselves, Julie's even got off Amazon, so we're not playing around over here. We walk the walk. OK, we don't have Facebook. But what can people do to stop the influence, at least through social media? Do you do you have any ideas or thoughts on that?
3: Well, so, so yeah, so basically, so what what Putin has been able to take advantage of is that um, uh, technology has moved much more quickly than government regulation. So, um, and we've seen that you know it's it's not even that many different um, uh, methods of of social media. It's Facebook and Twitter for the most part, mm-hmm. and and so so what these guys have done is, I mean, and it's real easy. I mean you know on twitter they make it sound like 10 million people all support some idiotic thought or a cause or whatever when in fact nobody does it's just like a an office building in st petersburg that's generating you know millions or hundreds of thousands or whatever of tweets and 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 so on doing it all this automated bot creation and 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 it's really easy to fix that just pass a law uh, uh, that 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 every account at twitter has to be connected to a real individual Exactly, <laughs>
1: and fucking Mark Zuckerberg I mean, what, what's, shouldn't what, be taking what's their so, money. What's
3: so hard about that? What's so hard about that? I mean, and, and you know, with Facebook, they can just say no political advertising on Facebook. End of story. And if you do, Facebook gets fined like ten times the amount of money they got. They'd stop in a second.
0: Exactly. Um, what do you think Putin's end game is?
3: If Putin's main end game is just staying in power. Because if he stays in power, then he doesn't lose all the money he's accumulated. He stays out of jail, and he stays alive. And so for him, it's all about staying in power. How do you stay in power for, like, 20 years? I mean, everyone, no matter whether you're the best leader in the world or the worst leader or whatever, no one wants you after 20 years. And so, and he's not a good leader, and everyone is hes stealing blind from his people, and so they particularly don't want him.
0: So and he doesn't so, want to just what, take what, all what his money he, and retire? or Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Why is There's it no just...
3: way he can do that. He, he, the moment the moment he steps down, somebody will come after him, take all his money away from him, and put
0: oh. him in jail. He has no
3: He has no chance. There is no putin presidential library to retire to oh
1: my god you you told us the end game we've been asking what's the end game since we started this stupid podcast and you just told it to us this is why you're an icon
3: so in order for him to stay in power the only thing he he, he's got to go back to the sort of the machiavelli playbook which is um if if people are getting tired of you if people are angry you want to deflect their anger away from you towards other people and so what what do you what do you do you start a war Mm-hmm. that's what the war in Ukraine is about. It's mm-hmm. not because anyone has any problem with Ukraine. He just wants to have a war with somebody and he picked, picked a weak country next to him to have a war with. And and when, when people started growing tired of that, he goes, goes in Syria. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, he'll start more wars in the future. And then the second thing he'll do is he'll start firing on his own citizens if they start, um, uprising. And so he, and literally he has created a 500,000 person presidential defense force, he has his own private army, uh, uh, that's authorized to fire on Russians if need be um, in order to make sure that he stays in power because that's the thing he needs is to stay in power.
0: That was our next question. Is there anyone in Russia, speaking of the people, who are trying to stop him, him and the oligarchs? Is there like an underground? Is there like anyone trying to stop him?
3: Well, I mean, anyone who tries to stop him either ends up dead, like Boris Nemtsov. He was a friend of mine. He's an opposition leader. He was gunned down in front of the Kremlin. In February of 2015, or they get put in jail, like uh, Alexei Navalny's brother, and Alexei Navalny was was uh, sen- uh, sentenced, and, and or they end up in exile, like Gary Kasparov. And so, I mean, it's uh, people try, um, and and it ends badly for them. And and even when it ends badly for them, very brave people continue to try and try. Um, and one day, you know, it's like in in Tunisia, the the Arab Spring started randomly because a fruit seller set himself on fire. You know Putin doesn't know what, what how it may all end up for him and and nor does anybody else. But um you know if in a situation where where you have the top 1000 people in the country stealing everything from the other 145 million that's not a very long-term sustainable situation.
0: Uh, right. Nobody knows
3: think... nobody no, nobody knows how to predict what's going to happen but that's just not a sustainable situation. Yeah.
1: How do you see it ending with hi- him dying?
3: Well, I mean the most likely way it ends is that for 20 years, Vladimir Putin stays as president of Russia or some, uh, or some or president of the new Soviet Union that he creates by taking a few other countries under his wing or whatever. Um, and then one day he dies of a stroke in his sleep at the age of 85. That's probably the, the, the highest uh, probability scenario.
0: Well, that's a nightmare. I know, that sucks. <laughs> You'd think that maybe one of the oligarchs could get turned or flipped, or it's sad. Just a sad, sad statement. the
3: oligarchs, these oligarchs are not independent actors. They're all terrified of Vladimir Putin. He's looking for disloyalty anywhere he can find it. He sometimes, he's a paranoid man. Even when he doesn't find disloyalty, he assumes it. And so there's no oligarch, any oligarch who even thinks a bad thought will be arrested mm. and have his assets stripped. You should see these guys. They're completely terrified. They're just, I mean, they might be worth $10 billion, but they are absolutely living in a terrible psychological state because at any moment they could become uh, impoverished stuck in jail or killed and they know it mm.
1: if he was to be you know assassinated so to speak or just murdered would would the, someone take his place that was just like him or is I mean I don't feel like it's that kind of situation I feel like like it's like a, more like a Hitler situation mm. I'm scared even saying that because oh, God knows he a, could hear this <laughs> well
3: well, I'll tell you something. It's it's um, the closest comparable is a situation like um, uh, in in, uh, Uzbe- uh, uh, in Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan is a Central Asian country not far from Russia, run by a dictator for many decades. And one day, the um, dictator of Uzbekistan died. His name was Karimov, and everyone wondered who's going to be, you know, taking his place. Is are things going to get better in, in Uzbekistan? And it was all very mysterious and subterranean. And then one day, it was almost, you know kind of like when the new pope comes out. You know, some black smoke emerged from the presidential <laughs> palace, and the head of the Uzbekistan KGB becomes the new president of Uzbekistan. And absolutely nothing changes. And they still boil their political opponents alive and do all that stuff that made them notorious dictators in the first place.
1: Yeah. So that's the way you think it would be if. if- with the next person, don't be
3: hopeful t- about Russia. And in, in, in that respect, no, that, nothing. Nothing good is going to happen unless it's a, a, a total outside the box scenario. Like, like I mean, it's possible, but but I, I, I wouldn't just because it, we all want to be optimistic doesn't mean that good things are going to happen.
1: So, what are you working on now? Like, what is the the most immediate thing that you're doing? And what's your next step?
3: Well, there's two things I'm doing. One is I'm, I want to get the Magnitsky Act passed in as many countries as possible, in the EU in particular, because all these um, Russian crooks from the government all have houses in the south of france and sardinia and the coast of brava and spain and um uh, that's the first thing so EU magnitsky act. and the second thing is that we said to ourselves after they killed Sergei magnitsky we said who got the money that he exposed and for the last nine years i've been working on a investigation into who got the money and we found out where all that money's gone and we're going through country by country law enforcement agency by law enforcement agency, mm. and having them open criminal cases, seize the money, and prosecute the people involved. And there's now 16 countries with, with criminal investigations open. And it's exposing all the dirty intermediaries from the West to help the Russians. And by the time we're done, there's going to be a lot of people who are a lot poorer, unemployed, and hopefully in jail.
1: And what is the deal with the, like, aren't names added to, to the list every year, like the Magnitsky Act, it's like a a list of of names for for people who aren't allowed to come here or invest here. And there's names added each year, right?
3: Yep, the names get added each year. And I should point out, the Magnitsky Act doesn't just apply to Russia anymore. It applies to people, bad guys all over the world. There's now a global Magnitsky Act. And as I mentioned before, the uh, bunch of Saudis are on that list. And, you know, Nicaraguan security officials were firing on student demonstrators. Mm. And, and, uh, and when you get on that list, it's not a good thing. Let me tell you,
2: <clears throat> not a good
3: thing. People who get put on that list, they become uh, effectively financial pariahs in the world. It's really bad for them.
1: And is, so is Trump allowing names to be added to the list? Because it seems like every day we hear about them lifting like little sanctions here and there.
3: There's been one, well, there's been one Russian oligarch who, who has had sanctions eased on him. His name is Oleg Deripaska. He's not a good guy. And, and he definitely didn't deserve to have his sanctions lifted on him. But having said that, it's very interesting because, um, you know, people spend a lot of time looking at Trump and seeing what he's saying and tweeting and all this nonsense. But, but behind the scenes, uh, his government is, is churning out um, people all the time, bad guys all the time from different countries who are doing bad things and getting put on the sanctions list. And just it, it, the, the, the sort of steamroller moves forward <laughs> in a very consistent way. And he he doesn't and Trump, Trump doesn't probably doesn't even know about it. He's not even involved. He's on you know, he's watching, <laughs> oh my watching God. TV.
1: Yeah, <laughs> seriously. So you wrote a book called Red Notice. Have you considered doing like a documentary? We watched a documentary called Active Measures, and I mean, you know, documentaries are pretty commonplace these days, and they're obviously not all true. But have you considered doing that? It's the way to get the word out to dumb people like us. <laughs>
3: um well i'm not um uh, i'm not i don't really like watching documentaries but um, but we are working on a, a mini series of uh sort of a fictionalized mini series of red mm-hmm. notice which would tell the story like narcos or house of cards or something like that which um will will hopefully reach a pretty wide audience and give people a clear sense of what's going on in russia
1: good good uh-huh. That's the way to, another way to meet, to get the, the word out to dumb people. Um, okay. So tell our 14 listeners, thank you so much for talking to us. We really appreciate it. It was truly an honor. Um, tell our 14 listeners where they can get your book, where they can find you on social media, get your dick so pics. My, my book
3: is called, my, my book is called red notice. It's a New York times bestseller. It continues to be a bestseller. So four years after it was written, buy it on Amazon, buy it in your bookshop, take it out from the library, lend it to your friends, get everyone to read it. Um, I'm at Bill Browder on Twitter. You can follow me um, and uh, see what I'm up to. I I, I uh, post all of my all of my exploits on there and and uh, um, and, and uh, thank you for listening.
1: <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.
3: <laughs> bye bye. Thank you. Bye.
1: The Icon interview is over, and now it's time for us to chop it up. Chop it up.
2: <laughs> she chopping broccoli. Chop a rock and laugh. A chop a rock and laugh. Chop rock and laugh. Chop a a rock a rock Well,
0: here we are. Here we are. Post icon interview. Ready to chop it the fuck up.
1: Well, oh. I'm kind of just
0: glowing. I don't know about you. I am in a post-glow <laughs> as well. I'm in a Bill Browder glow. It was exciting. Um, he was so informative. Like He's such a good teacher. Yeah.
1: I feel like I could learn any number of things from him. He could teach me geometry, math, mm-hmm. science, mm-hmm. history. Yeah, he's a nice, gentle way of talking. and he, And he's very... Um, easy to learn from for whatever yeah. reason. He didn't mention or I didn't
0: see anything that he'd been an actual teacher. No, I have not seen that either. All I saw is that he has made shitloads of money.
1: Yeah, we didn't get to really meet to him about his bank I account know, like know, we normally would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being that he's so
0: goddamn rich. Yeah. Um, but... We all knew. We all knew. Right. It was the undercurrent. Yeah, it really was. I think he knew, um, you know, talking about his nude pics and his dick yeah. pics and stuff. I
1: mean, I think he knew by the fact that he could see a litter box in the background of the <laughs> Skype that <laughs> our financial situations
0: were right. grossly inadequate. Right. Right. Like maybe he was thinking, huh, why is there a sign that says the drug den? Yeah. And exactly. why am I talking to these people? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I
1: really learned a lot. It was... Fan-fucking-tastic. I think the high point of
0: the interview absolutely was the end game. Finding out the end game. Yeah. Because we've been talking about it for, any, for the beginning of the podcast. What the hell is Putin's end game? What's the long con? What is he doing? What's he doing with everyone? And we've also talked about, like, why isn't he just going away and retiring? He's got a $200 billion. What does he need? And now we know. He has to stay in power in order to keep his money. Period. That's or it. And not go to jail, apparently. And not go to jail. Or not get killed. Because
1: he'll end up on an island like El Chapo and like with a, you know, barriers and guards and a Mm -hmm. fortress. And that's no way to live. No. It's no way to live. No. I I mean, I'd be
0: fine. So that (laughs) I love to hermit up and be like, bug off, leave me alone. Oh, if I knew nobody was coming, be fine. Sweet. Yeah. But I felt that was that was that was great information. I thought and, the low
1: point was finding out he's not like Hitler and there's nothing we can do. Right. He said don't have any
0: hope for Russia, basically. For me, and
1: if you listen to it again, and I hope you all do, Julie and I have listened to it more than once, mm-hmm. um, I pretty much checked out at that point. I was just done. <laughs> I mean, I'm just done with the whole thing, quite frankly. I'm done talking about it. I'm right. not worrying about it. It's like the Middle East for me. It's like, you, you know, you, you cut off the head. It grows a new one. I'm just like, why are we
0: bothering? Right. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Right. Because especially when it's like, well, we could have a good relationship with Russia and blah, blah, blah. You we want Russia to be something that it isn't, I guess. And I don't know. But Boris Yeltsin did it. That's true. So maybe there is hope. (sighs) Maybe there is someone waiting in the wings who's not going to get poisoned and who's going to talk the people into a revolution. They need a revolution.
1: Now, as far as anyone, you know, as far as the Obama reset is concerned Mm -hmm. now, um, or the Russia reset for the Obama administration, I think it's a common thing. I saw, like, quotes from Orrin Hatch back then, like, this is a good step. Mm. You know, Obama's too worried about not pissing Putin off. And I'm like, it just, it's all, history just repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself. That's for sure. And it's all diplomacy. And at the end of the day, and I mean... I didn't know much about it and didn't care and didn't pay attention and would do anything to have Obama back. Not pissing Putin off. I don't even care. Right. Um, He put Hillary Clinton in there as Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. That I did know. And Hillary Clinton went over there and fucking waved her fucking pussy <laughs> around and like told him a big fuck you. Yes. So I don't know that he was that tiptoeing around Putin. I mean, he sent a woman in there to go blow up his spot. Right. And there's a...
0: I think it was during active measures that... Putin said, "Like it's cute that he sent a woman to talk to yeah. me." Yeah, well, was something like that. Yeah, and like, Hillary, oh, that's cute that he sent a woman. And
1: then Hillary said he likes to do the man spread, right? And right. And then it shows her talking to him, Putin, and his legs are spread, just yes. bulge all out in yeah. the
0: center. It's like, oh god, yeah, yeah. Uh. yeah. Yeah, he's completely... He thinks he's so macho and... So by the time you get to John Kerry, mm-hmm. Obama
1: probably was on Operation fucking Russia Reset because right. Hillary had gone over there and put her fucking period blood all over him. <laughs> she put her lady jizz... will well, tell you what. discharge. I mean... Tampon <laughs> dust, tampon lint. Take my tampon
0: dust! <laughs> like he... Take my maxi pad lint. But I'll be honest... <laughs> She put her maxi-pied lint on me. Like, I, I I, have to say, and not being a huge Hillary Clinton fan, you, love you gotta that. give it to her. You do. You gotta give We're it to her. We're in this mess because of her Straight Come on. up. <laughs> she, I mean, her period she, blood and tampon re- lint. She didn't reset shit. No. And I love that she didn't take no. any shit from him. He's a fucking asshole. And she was not having it. <laughs> no. And he,
1: neither was he. And it was like, oh, they're going to send a woman to do their dirty work? I'm about to fuck their next election. And yep. he, sure he sure did. He sure did. He sure did. I thought it was interesting when he said Putin hates three things. NATO, the European yeah. Union, and the USA. Yep.
0: He's dismantling all of those. Yes, he is. So and he's complete. He's like halfway through, I would say. He's doing a good job of it. And there's someone who's got a slow. He's not doing things. He's not. He's he's patient. Yes, he's making it happen. He got I mean, through that interview patient enough. He was just like,
1: when is this <laughs> going to be over? <laughs> I mean, he was like, man, I need a I need a really stiff game of chess right now to get through that <laughs> dumb those dumb waters <laughs> that I just waded through with these assholes. Oh well, I you know what I couldn't have done it with a with a better partner, Meow. meow. That was really. <laughs> It was a high point. It was a high point in my professional career.
0: I know. Well, for me, too. I mean, we talked to we talked to someone who literally is like changing the world. Google
1: Putin Bill Browder speech and you will hear three different speeches where where Putin says, what is it with this Bill Browder? It's like
0: he's very inspiring. I have to say um, very inspiring as far as being brave. And like just having a quiet courage. Yeah. If do you have a question that you wish you would have asked him? Um, I would ask him. You know, in the course of a day, do you when what do you do when you feel scared? Oh, that's good. I would have asked him if
1: our lives are threatened and or taken, <laughs> will you add us <laughs> to the Magnitsky the Goldman Howard, Howard Act, Act? <laughs> and fight for justice for our lives <laughs> for the rest of yours, Bill? <laughs>
2: i you down. Freedom, Freedom.
0: it For this episode of Dumb Gay Politics.
1: Thank you guys for listening. If you're new to us and you haven't signed up for our Patreon podcast, please go to wwwpatreoncom Dumb Gay Politics and check it out. We fucking beg you. <laughs> if you were in any way offended by anything you heard here today, just know we don't talk any politics on that podcast, and that might make it more of a relaxing mm-hmm.
0: choice for some of you. Choose. Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> um, a relaxing hour filled with food challenges, scary stories, Cardi B pork rind giveaways, and original techno synth rock keyboard music. By you. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's just for a dollar. One no, I just dollar. I
1: they probably... People did get offended about the fucking... Peroni's
0: disease <laughs> about the Fuck cu- that. about the curved dick that we talked about the curved dick disease. Anytime you want me to talk shit about <laughs> curved dicks, I will. <laughs> and even though we seem to have hit a major plateau, as soon as we get to two thousand subscribers, we're going to do two hour long podcasts for the same price of a dollar. That is a goddamn steal. Now we just have to badger six hundred more motherfuckers into joining.
1: Correct. And as always, it's been real and it's been fun, but
0: mostly it's been gay and it's been dumb.
1: And And Bill
4: Browder! How'd you do I? See you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little broad dine, because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man.
2: Don't get strung up by the way I look!
4: from transsexual
2: Transylvania <laughs> hey, I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania
4: <laughs> So, come up to the left